I just asked Ben how I was as a co-host, and he just said, yeah, you're fine. Well, thanks, Ben. Glad to know you are loving this. Hello and welcome to our third and final special uh, here on the RTQ Film Podcast. We are recapping the best of 2020. We've already done best performances, best TV series, but now it is time to do the big one. The top 20 films of the year. And Ben, I'm just looking at this list. It's going to take us a while to get through. Well, oh boy, is it worth it. We have got some absolutely huge films uh, to talk about today. Shout out to Ben, by the way. Um, I don't think the listeners probably realise how much Ben does. Ben, you've probably spent about 13 to 15 hours doing the prep for these three specials, let alone recording them. And I mean, all I do is turn up five minutes before and speak. But Ben, you does so much. And Ben, I love what you've done. So thank you very much, Ben. Thanks. Um, yeah. You weren't expecting that. No, I enjoy my job, so, you know. <laughs> amazing, I'd amazing. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the list, because our, what you guys don't know is it's 20 to 12 at night here, and I am bloody knackered, so. <laughs> let's get going. At number 20, Birds of Prey. So, Ben, just go straight for it. What is Birds of Prey about? <laughs> yeah, so Birds of Prey was the new Harley Quinn film that came out in February which was a bloody long time ago, and um, one of only, like, what, three blockbusters we've had all year. I mean, lots of... I find it a genuinely entertaining, funny film. It is hyper-violent, hyper-stylized, but I love that. Lots of people have been quite rude or critiqued about it. Actually, let's change that. Lots of men have, and to them, I'm just going to say, watch the movie. Women can lead films too. And, uh, yeah, it's anything but the men is trash narrative that many conservatives have been trying to spin it. It's good. It's a good film. So you enjoyed it, Ben? I did. I did. Well, I Did you see it on the big screen? No, I saw it because uh, I was doing, I, like, I was busy in February and saw virtually nothing on the big screen. So, no. I regret that. I would have loved to have seen it on the big screen, particularly and in hindsight. Besides, well. in February, yeah, you didn't know that you were going to get to see very few uh, things on the big screen this year. That sounded rather wrong. Um, I've seen 10 films on the big screen, so... So I think you've done well. I think that's 10 more than everybody else. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot more than most people. Have you seen this next one on our list on the big screen? No. I don't know. I'm not going to ask that before every single one because chances are you probably haven't. In at number 19, we have got Shirley. Yep. So um, one of two Elizabeth Moss films to make the list. Actually, one of two films she leads, just proving how incredible a year she's had. Um, like, it's the biopic slash fantasy surrealist drama of Shirley Jackson, the novelist who wrote The Haunting of Hill House, I think that's a book. I think she wrote the book of it that the TV show is based off. And they gave her a kind of surreal biopic. Um, the handheld camera works neat, the editing sharp and snappy, and editing makes the film, and that's what lots of people don't realise, and often it doesn't get the praise, because often when it's great, it's subtle, like it's here, so I thought I'd shout that out. The score's wonderful. And there's this really interesting thing in the movie, if you don't know what's real and what's fantasy and what's good and what's bad, what's disastrous, but it all blends into one perfect out-of-your-head film. 
So you, it's a good film. It's good. It, honestly, it sounds good. I, I love a film with good editing. Mm. Yeah. I... Oh, now, too, Ben was just having his water then. We still need to... You know what I've learned from doing these specials? We need to get better at timing our water breaks. Yeah. We... Oh, actually, you were talking and then went, Ben's having a sip, so you, <laughs> you, you called me out for it while you were talking. When else oh, am yeah. I meant to no, be I... able to sip my water? Hands, <laughs> yeah, hands up. I will, um, I'll take the blame for that. Um, ben, number 18, we have got the system. Now, this was... This was handy on showing what kind of a person on the very bottom of corporate sculpture, um, structure uh, of, I'm not even going to try to read your notes, Ben, just go for it, mate. <laughs> yeah, I always laugh when you read my notes because I know you have no clue what, because my notes are so written for me. <laughs> it's... Yeah, they are, they are. Yeah, The Assistant is one of two films on this list that we talked about on our first ever podcast. Um, yes, I'd love to say I remember it. Well, I think when we get to the second one, I'm going to casually remind you of it. Um, anyway, the assistant stars Julia Garner. Um, yep, yeah, that's her name. As a PA to a Harvey Weinstein-esque figure. And it explores the culture of these huge film and TV and media corporations. And it kind of shows just how weak those at the bottom are. How oh, they can't complain, but they're abused almost daily. How little manoeuvrable, how they're constantly exploited with no manoeuvrability. It's a tough watch. It's harrowing. At least it's short. It's only ninety minutes, which means it's you can get through it. But it's one. Of, it's a film that I never thought me. that you'd say about a film. Oh, it's a it's a tough watch. At least it's short. Well, that is a. <laughs> That's not a compliment. So no, no, it? no, no, no. Firstly, I love a short film. If something's ninety minutes, it's good. And every te- if it's like you, you don't have to pause it and go to the toilet, or if you're watching it in the cinema, just run out where you hope nothing crucial is going to happen. No, I I can hold it if I'm going to the cinema. Can you? Yeah, I I never go. I can't because I always get a, a large coke before. Yeah, I don't get drinks. <laughs> there we go. That's very tactical. Do you get popcorn though? No. Depends how break you are. No, but what I do do is I get a packet of Galaxy Minst It's Minstrels, right? From the yeah, yeah, from the cinema. Or yeah, you, from the cinema. You sneak it in. No, from the cinema because they need to make yeah, yeah. their money, and then I eat it on the way back. Oh right. Because <laughs> I because okay. people in cinema eating's noisy and yeah. It is annoying. It's annoying, but so I go and buy all. the things and eat them at the end. Or but in most the apps. Most people will like, eat their stuff within the first 20 minutes. No, but then if, if I... one person that halfway through just decides to, like, open some stuff, it's so frustrating. If, if you eat it in there, you have to do it during the ad and the trailers. Once yeah. the film starts, that's where your attention needs to be. Yeah, and especially when people have really smelly food as well, like hot dogs and stuff. It's and... the nachos, and it's when it's the person next to you. That's why oh, I quite... That's all why... behind you in your ear. That's a bad one. Yeah, that's why I quite like about being in the cinema now with all the COVID restrictions. <laughs> There's no one next to you, and I know it's not good for the cinemas, but trust me, the viewing experience is much nicer. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love how already through... And they're quite Two films in, we've got off topic. That must be a new record. And now to number 18, we've got The Assistant. Number 17, which we've got The Invisible Man. 
Keep that up. We've just done the assistance. <laughs> anyway. Ben, I blame you for going off topic. In at number 17, this is the Invisible Man. Now, I'm not even going to try to read your notes again, Ben, so just go for it. Yep, the second Elizabeth Moss-led film of, on the list. Another one that came out in January is on the big screen. One of a couple of horror films on the list as well. It's been quite... Ooh, spoiler. It's, it's been a good year for horror. This Bloomhouse-produced film is a remake of the classic universal horror story, The Invisible Woman, given a 2020 spin with stuff like gaslighting and a real domestic abuse theme. And the world is quite immersive. And from the beginning scene, when you see Moss's character escape her boyfriend, but you don't know what he's done. And it's sadly not an uncommon story of a woman who's being abused by her partner who assaults her out of the blue and when she's done nothing and there's no justification. And it's even worse because he's obviously becomes invisible midway through the film. So it's terrifying and kind of terrifying because of the scares and kind of terrifying because the subject matter is so timely. I feel like the title of that film really just gives away the plot. Well, it's based off the classic horror films and uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Invisible Man's a classic horror villain. So you know you know that's what you're expecting. And you know quite early on in the film there's an invisible man haunting everyone. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was a silly comment of me to have made. Uh on to number sixteen now. I'm thinking of ending things. Now I've heard that this movie is quite confusing and it's very all over the place how true is that yeah so i've kind of was in like why don't we just do number 16 and number 15 together and you will work out from that what number 15 is because they are the two most confusing films of the year and they're both beautiful and really well made and look stunning very little character development but the actors are good and here's my tip for anyone who's like i don't like it's confusing don't think about it. With both these films, I just sat down and enjoyed the ride and let it take me to the places it's going to take me. And by switching my brain off, I think they were better. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, do some... you understand anything about I'm thinking of ending things? Yeah, I, I think I know what happened. Was it good, though? It was good. It's a good film. Charlie Kaufman's done well. Uh, and with no surprise, in at number 15... Uh, a film that you did see on the big screen and you loved, but you were flipping confused. Baffled. At number 15, Tenet. Yes. Now, firstly, um, I did not think it was too loud. <laughs> Just to put that out there. I thought that was per- thought the sound design was brilliant. And that's typical of all Nolan films. Did it get films. a lot of uh, a critic- a critics were saying that it was very loud? No, everyone was like, it was so loud, I can't hear the dialogue. Well, listen... <laughs> Like, no, it wasn't too loud. It was... it. The film was not meant to have been understanded. There's a line in the film in Tenet where they go, don't think too much about it, just enjoy it. And that's what you're meant to do as the audience member. You're, as long as you know some people go forward, some people go backwards, and how the four central characters relate to each other, the film's fine. It's going to be great. It's an ultimate... It's the ultimate big screen experience. And not enough people saw it or treated it that way. Granted, it came out during a pandemic. But yeah. Ben, you know, one day we need to do a video recording of these podcasts because I'm just sat here kind of chilled. And Ben, you do the most 
tremendous dance moves uh, in a way when you're saying you're so expressive your hands are going all over the shop you're bouncing up and down I just love how passionate you are I'm a bit like a certain Mr Trump in how I move um if you need the picture listening you're even moving right now you're going to reach something what are you getting I dropped my elastic band just because you need something to fiddle with of course don't we all yes Shall we? Ben, sometimes I'm concerned for you, but in a good way. <laughs> Shall we keep going? <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's, uh, that's so Let's keep going. Uh, in at number 14, we've got Death Five Bloods. Why not the Five Bloods? Or just Five Bloods? Oh, we've got to put a word that doesn't exist. Da in front of it. Ben, <laughs> how was the Five Bloods? Well, it's on the list, so it's pretty fucking spectacular. I mean, it's the latest Spike Lee joint, and it's possibly the most Spike Lee of Spike Lee films possible. You deliberately right now try not to do hand gestures. No, no, I'm just playing with the elastic band. I'm just playing with my elastic band. Um, Lee Spike Lee has Pat explores the Vietnam War with such realism, but he also goes into it through the lens of the black soldiers. Um who equated for nearly half... It's the, it's the Vietnam War, isn't it, yeah? Yeah, it's the Vietnam War. And they equated for, it's, what, 10 15% of the US population, but were 40% of the soldiers in the Vietnam War. But we never see them on screen. So that instantly sets the film apart and makes it really interesting. And then the story of the Vietnam vet- veterans is great, and the characters have development which he feels true and real and authentic to people who survived that war because look all was horrific but vietnam war seemingly was especially horrific so i really liked it and it was one of chadrick boseman's last films but he's immortalized in it in a role that's don't want to say suitable because he's died because that's the apparently the well. development in the characters in this film is excellent that's what i saw on twitter no, that's what I wrote down. Don't... Way to expose me, Ben. Way don't... to expose me. Don't um, lie. Give me, the, of... give me the credit where I wrote... All right, sorry, sorry. Let's uh, everyone give Ben the credit of writing. He also delivers with the development of the main characters. There you go. Give credit where due. Ben, I'm also going to give you credit um, for our, the next one on our list. Number 17, The Vast of Night, or Vast of Night, if you're posh. Um, you've written, call me the weird one, but this movie is trippy. Yeah, no, it's weird. I mean, Ben, this is mad even for you to call a movie trippy. How is this movie trippy? Um, well, it's about alien invasions and sci-fi, and it's one of those films that's seriously experimental, and normally that's like, oh, it's experimental, but here it works. Um... The story kind of goes in and out and it's done in the style of a radio play. But there were blackouts. There were literal points where... Ben, do you remember when we did a radio play once and you were a dog? Yes, I do. And And you wore kneecaps because your knees kept getting sore on stage. For people who want... My knees killed. You try being a dog on that (laughs) stage. One that has nails in it. I I would like to point out it had nails in it. I spent two weeks... Rehearsing on a stage with nails and crawling on it's my the kind of, You know when um, you're a kid and you're learning to like ride a bike and you wear, or, or like a skateboard if you call and you wear mm. like them skateboarding gloves with all the padding on and kneecaps and everything. Ben had all of that and more. <laughs> it was just... 
on his all fours pretending under to be the a dog, dog suit. Under the dog suit. What was suit. your line? What was your line? Yeah. Oh, no, I had to say that multiple times. <laughs> it was a... Oh, Ben, Ben, I love you. I love you. Um, so let's only... go back to the vast of the night. Rack. Yeah, there's, there's a point where it physically goes black and the dialogue still goes on and then the film does some weird things. That I watched it six months ago, so I can't remember all of them. But uh, I just remember it being great. The director, Andrew Pattinson, makes it work. I It's experimental and different, but I was loving it and feeling connected to it instead of just going, oh, this is cool, I like what you're doing. The performances... No, you were thinking, oh, this is trippy. Yeah, I was like, whoa, what's going on? But sometimes, like Mank, which, spoiler alert, is up next, I was kind of a bit like... I know what you're doing is technically brilliant, but I'm admiring it instead of loving it. But with The Vast of Light, I was loving it as well. And it's got that kind of small town indie vibe that's really cool and nice. And it's a must watch. It's great. So in at number 12, which Ben has already spoiled by like 30 seconds, Ben, how dare you, uh, is Mank. Um, So is it a documentary? What is it? No. So it's a dramatisation of the making of the and for people who can't see me i'm doing that thing you do with your fingers where you go up and down i'm doing inverted commas the greatest film of all time i do not like citizen kane i'm gonna point that one out right now um look it's not a documentary on kane so i don't think people should see it as a work of historical truth or accuracy it's a work of fiction and i'm going to enjoy it as that because the story of how citizen kane was made is interesting and this one improves it it's it's a brilliant work of cinema and it definitely has its place gary oldman who is in our top 20 performances is great as herman j mankovich the guy who apparently wrote citizen kane and then awesome worlds came in and stole his thunder spoiler alert that's not true but it makes a good film it really does and it's in black and white, which works, even though it's slightly too clean and not gritty enough. And they play with some of the ideas of Citizen Kane and the flashbacks and the multiple narrators. Not too long for you, was it, Ben? Longer than 90 minutes? Two hours, I think. Was it? Did it feel like two hours, though? Because, you know, you know I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but it does go on a bit. Well, when it's two hours dead and you've got like it you normally that you're normally it didn't feel baggy in the middle it it did feel succinct and it did feel like it deserved its length which very sometimes there's nothing worse than when you're like this is going on and then and then you start doing the editing in your head where you're like you could have really cut that scene (laughs) yeah and then but don't you hate where they um when films re- release the cut scenes and you're like, why didn't that make the cut? No, because editors have a tricky job and there's only one cut scene that I've only ever thought would have actually made the film better and that's off the DVD release of Johnny English Returns and try and find the scene on YouTube. It's genuinely hilarious. It's a Rowan Atkinson as Johnny English cooking to... The do 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 that song, and it's very funny because if you know the song, it speeds up and up and up, and Atkinson starts cooking faster and faster and faster. 
So that's the funny scene that I wish made the film. But. It's like, well, it's not like Harry Potter, but I'm going to point it out. They filmed Fred and George's scene where George dies. Is it George that dies? I re- I'm really bad with names on the two, but they filmed it and did make the cut. Very sad, very sad. Yeah, I mean, Harry Potter, this is a really off-topic one because I watched the film recently. I When I went to rewatch Harry Potter and the Deathly Allies Part 2, I was expecting it to be like Avengers Endgame length and three hours. It's not, it's two hours. For a they block- could have made it longer. For, no, no, they shouldn't have made it longer. I was quite impressed with how short it was, and I was happy with how short. Did you it was. not? Do you, you don't like Harry Potter, do you? No, I do. I love it. I no, think you do. I thought you hated franchises. Oh, I hate franchises, but Harry Potter's different. <laughs> I mean, and also it's a, it's a book to a film, which I think you don't mind, do you? Um, no, I just think the way they tied up that final Harry Potter film is great, and it is a great film. So it's a great film. On now, we could talk about Harry Potter all day, or I could Harry Potter and Star Wars and the Arrowverse. To oh, another that'd be amazing. Yeah, that would. To another short franchise. No short film. Saint Maud, ninety minutes. I saw this one. <laughs> I just thought. I just thought. Wait, what are you saying? But uh, I saw. I know what you're trying to do. Yeah, in at number eleven, we've got Saint Maud, another ninety minute film. So is this, is it a religious film? What's it about? Uh, no, so, yeah, so it is. It's, this, no, but, is hard yeah. to, this is hard to explain. I saw it in the cinemas. And what I don't want to do, because I've wrote notes and I don't want to spoil it because it is a film that's best knowing as little as possible going in. I knew virtually nothing other than the fact it's a horror film. But what it's more, the director, Rose Glass, has made an examination on loneliness through Moyford Clark's nurse, who believes her, who's become a religious Christian fanatic and then became quite isolated and lonely and shut off from the world and believes her client's the devil. That's all I'm going to say about the film. It's brilliant. Like, it takes you to places that you didn't expect to go. And the final image has stuck in my head. For, for good or bad reasons. For good for good reasons. It's a potent and poignant image. And you think the film's going one way and into a kind of... And the final image actually proves it went the opposite. The way you have been very careful not to spoil anything about that film kind of makes me want to watch it. Yeah, I went in knowing... Like I said, you should be a publicist. I went to know nothing about it, and it improved the film, so... Ben, it's one minute past midnight. Happy New Year's Eve. Happy New Year's Eve. So we'll be up this time tomorrow as well. Yeah, but we won't be out, will we? Mm. Well, actually, I'm I'm deliberately avoiding New Year's this year. Why? Firstly, it's the worst night of the year. My genuine outtake. You're always pissed off, upset, wound up with someone at the party. Secondly, COVID. And I'm being safe. You are being safe. And so am I, to be fair. I I just feel like I would have felt awful tomorrow night or tonight if I went out to a big party. Yeah. I would have been like, there's more more than six people. (laughs) And we're inside. (laughs) We're we're inside. We're inside. (laughs) You're not wearing a mask. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you better not be sharing a drink. 
I know, I, I, I don't... Sanitise, sanitise! <laughs> like, I'm not even... How are we going to do parties afterwards? <laughs> yeah, are we ever... Is it ever going to be the same? I genuinely, genuinely... I don't know. No, I'm I a know. uni student. I will tell you right now. You can quite comfortably. But it's got worse now. It's got worse than it was yeah, yeah, yeah. when We're I was in South Africa. Everyone keeps referring to the peak, and I'm like, nah, mate, this is the peak now. No, we've not hit the peak. It's still going up. Yeah, Let's yeah. be... Let's you, be... What tier are you in, Ben? We're in tier three. Yeah, I'm in tier three as well. But literally, I, I live like... 25 minutes away from our... Oh, yeah, you literally live like a five-minute driveway. It's that. Um, Southampton's places 20, four, 25 though. minutes away from us are tier four. How much? Yeah. Right, should we enter the top ten? <laughs> yep. <laughs> what was that? A sneeze. Yeah, I mean, I've never had anyone sneeze and try and speak at the same time. Yeah! <laughs> ben, what have we got at number ten? Right, let's rattle through the next five because no one's really interested in them and we're running quite long. So, Vitaliana Varela, I'm sorry, I've been completely weirdly pronounced that it's got great camera work it sounds brilliant it's your total audio visual immersion package um it's the first pedro costa film i've watched um which he is a archer and a european one at that but i'd never caught his films and it was a joy to watch i really enjoyed it i thought he did some really cool artistic things in the movie, it reminded me of the quite famous Sorokov film, Mother and Son. But, Viti- I can't say its name. If it was like that, it probably should have been called Wife and Husband. I don't prosper Vitilina Varela too much with lots of these smaller indie films. I just want to tell people to go and watch them and enjoy it for themselves instead of having me shout every detail down its throat. Uh, on now to number nine, because yes, Ben, we are going to run out of time. And we'd love to go on, I think. Well, I think you'd love a glass of water, and I feel like you're going to need a gin after this because you're putting so much effort to these specials. Um, or was it too late for a gin? It's not too I've got a bottle of vodka in my room. <laughs> <laughs> this is where, the, you know, this is where we really show that we're 18, but not the cool kind of 18-year-olds. Ben, Ben's in his kitchen right now. He's just looking around like a lost puppy, like, hmm. No, my dad was some whiskey out like an hour ago and i'm trying to see if it's still out and sneak a bit um i mean we kind of got to rattle through this quickly because we kind of want everyone to listen to the top 20 and not get bored yeah and what's I, at number nine ben what's at number it's nine Bakaru, another foreign film that i can't say yeah have you noticed that how i've just not pronounced the last two yeah so it's a i mean i'm dyslexic so so am I, and I'm just winging it. Um, this is a kind of Hitchcock suspense film that has an awful lot of genres in. There's the Western, there's the horror, there's the thriller, there's the drama. Um, there's been a lot of horror films on the list. I think this is the last one. Um, it is scary and unnerving and there's the scene with the kids and the flashlight which if you've seen it you'll know how terrifying that is but it works is it, is it is it a good watch is it very gripping it's gripping it's it's good it is gripping it's interesting you're intrigued you're excited yeah all right once and again now... once again i'm just gonna say watch it explore it enjoy it be immersed by it 
I mean, watch everything on this list because if it's made the top 20, then it means it's good. Yeah. Even though we've had very few big blockbusters this year, so it's all mainly indie films, which we don't mind. We love that. We I love, love an indie, indie film. Films. Well, Ben does. I mean, I'm more a mainstream guy who's just here to help Ben along, really. Yeah. Not even help, just hopefully steer the podcast in the right direction, which evidently I do a shit job of. Uh, and we are running low on time. And speaking of time, that was a terrible pun. I do apologise. In at number eight, we have got time. Yeah. Um, this documentary really is a beautiful work of art and people often forget about documentaries when they make these lists. Or, But it's one of the most interesting things. Now, firstly, I'd like to say thank you to the Richardson family who are like the subject of this documentary and... The way they share their story is beautiful and memorable and moving. Um, I hope this film really changes people's lives and I also hope it changes the way how people think about the issues it presents and how people deal with them. And I feel like this film could make the world a better place, which if it does, that's nothing but a good thing. I love that, Ben. I love that. I'm not going to spoil that because I felt like that was so touching. Okay, we are getting so close to number one. We're nearly done. Like, these three specials, I've loved them, but they've been hard work for us. Yeah, they have. Particularly you. Like, wow. uh, We're nearly there, Ben. Yes. You could go have your vodka that you've got under your bed in your room. Uh, And at number seven, Never Ready Sometimes. Now, it's a bit bit of an interesting title. Yeah, well, we reviewed this film on the first episode, and we actually reviewed it. I did two re- film reviews at the same time, with Never Ready Sometimes Always and The Assistant, because they're both these two post-Me Too dramas that have really poignant messages and themes for the world we live in, and Trump's America, and Johnson's UK, and the rise of far-right populism. And Never Rarely Sometimes Always is the title, it's an interesting one, It doesn't make sense for the first 45 minutes, but then there's that scene which I talked about in the performance um, podcast, so I don't want to repeat the thing again, but the film's raw and powerful. Who is your standout performance from again? Sydney Flanagan. And just first time around, as I was welling about how important Navarelli sometimes always and the assistant are and how memorable these films are and how everyone should go out and watch them, you burped. And it was the loudest. Oh yes! You know when you said on the first one, "Oh yeah, that film one's going to be an interesting one." I'm getting exposed. Yeah, I did burp, didn't I? Loudest. I burped. Loudest burp I think I've ever heard. It's because I used to drink coke whilst recording the podcast. Yeah, you just not a good idea. You just opened up and just went, and I've never. I mean, the only way with that was up for us with this podcast, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, there was the week I was drunk, which was another. <laughs> yeah, no, you started off fine, and then you just got more and more drunk as you went on. Yeah, it was. It, I'm a small guy, and I don't eat. A, oh, I'm not a small guy. I'm six foot, but I'm quite skinny, and I don't eat a lot of food. And um, I'm not anorexic. I just I'm not hungry. And you don't have a huge appetite. I don't have an appetite for. Yeah, is essentially it. So when so essentially, Ben's a lightweight. That's what he's. That's what he's trying to say. Essentially, I hadn't ate anything all day, and it was eleven o'clock at night. But I had had a few drinks, which I don't do before a podcast anymore. And I just got there and started feeling. No, I think the problem is Ben that you've told me after recording podcasts leading up to that. Oh yeah, I was drunk and you didn't realise, or I was tipsy and I didn't realise. So I felt like you just pushed it and then you. Pushed yeah, it too I was much. getting competitive with myself. Anyway. 
I love how that started by you exposing me about my burp when actually I think turning up drunk to a international podcast is a little bit worse. Dick Johnson is dead. Is it number six? <laughs> Just the way you said that. Let's not laugh again. Um, this yeah, film... but if you got this far in our last podcast... Uh, I said something which Ben thought was hilarious and just had a two-minute laughing fit. Yeah. Uh, so, Ben, let's not laugh and let's hold it together. We're only at number six, after all. Yeah, so Dick Johnson is dead follows Dick Johnson, whose health is declining rapidly and he's faced with his morbid and eventual death. And his daughter, who's the filmmaker, um, stages a series of fake accidents that kill her father. Um Obviously, they're all fake. He doesn't actually die in any of these joking accidents. And they kind of play them for laughs, and that's how it inspires the film's title. And it's wacky and wonderful and beautiful, surreal documentary. But they're only one small aspect of the film. And it's really a celebration of life and love and how eventually we have to let go and grieve. All right. Top five time. Yeah. I'm not going to do the, and the top five goes to, not doing that. But I, it's weird, our final top five. Um, in at number five, on the best uh, TV, uh, not TV, uh, films of 2020, as judged by Ben Heath of the Articu Film Podcast and articufilm.com, uh, is Small Axe Mangrove. Yeah, so Small Axe was the bane of my headache because, firstly, how do I judge them? It was a limited series of, Five feature films, all brilliant, all deserve to be on there. And I kind of decided to put it on the films list because that's what lots of critics decided to do and not judge them as a limited series because it's an anthology. And I was like, do I add one? Do I add two? Do I add three? Do I put all five on there? I ended up settling for one and then it's which one's the best. So I ended up just simply going, Mangrove was the first one. I'm going to go for that, even though lots of people prefer Lover's Rock or... Red, white, and blue. I personally really liked the courtroom drama. Why was that? What what um stood out to you about this one? Um, I liked the courtroom scenes at the end because I'm a fan of a courtroom drama and the trial you of the. You just love courtrooms, don't you? Yeah, and the trial of the Chicago Seven, which nearly made it onto the list, is another yeah, great. Yeah, we we I, I actually remember speaking about that on the podcast. Mm. I feel like it was when I was introducing it and I probably messed up on the words. We did about 20 takes. Do you remember when we went through that stage of having to start like 20 times? We did it for like three weeks in a row while I did. I'm so glad we got over that. And tonight was I mean, a one-take yeah. wonder. Yeah, and last night was a second take, but you don't mind that. It's just when it's over and over again. Yeah. Anyway, Steve McQueen... Crikey, Ben, we've stuck with this. Sorry. Steve McQueen is a brilliant director. He's one of Britain's finest. Um, and... Sorry, you know Jimmy's Farm? I don't know if you know. It's a famous farm wildlife park in Suffolk. They've got a meerkat called Steve McQueen. Sorry. That was not relevant at all. Um Sorry, Ben. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. And um... it always escapes its enclosure. Yeah, I was... Hey, one of my binges of the week was Jimmy's Farm, I think, or like Spring at Jimmy's Farm or something, and it was featured on that. So shout out to you if you actually took uh, any acknowledgement of my binge. Okay. Um, looking at me like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I've like tried to work out how to rescue talking about Small Axe Mangrove. Steve McQueen's a great director. We all knew that. He's an Oscar winner for 12 Years of Slave. This limited series of sick five films is his greatest achievement. Mangrove is such a unique and interesting storytelling perspective. 
it, in my opinion, to the best at carving out the characters and making them interesting. And I felt like I understood the real-life story and events that happened to the Mangrove Five in the Mangrove Restaurant, which was no hard feat. Moving on to number four. You don't want me to make another meerkat joke, do you? No, um, I just, you weren't talking, is Rocks, oh. which is one of another brilliant indie film uh, on Netflix. Um, Fett directed, I can't think of whose name it was, but it was one that stands out to me, even though it's only 90 minutes made on a small budget. It's just fantastic. Hey, you love your 90-minute films. I love my 90-minute films. And it kind of reminded me of the early Andrea Arnold films. Um, I got a fish tank vibe, if you know... If you've seen Not that an actual one. fish tank. No, the film Fish Tank. Um, oh, right. I thought you meant actual like fish tank with fish in it. No, um, and it's a brilliant film. And it's another one I'm just going to say, go and watch it. You don't want to hear me rave about it because I can't do it as eloquently or succinctly as the film deserves. But it is brilliant. Do you think it's better than Fish Tank? Yes, I do. Fish Tank's Amazing. a great film and put Andrea Arnold on the map there. So. Right, we have got three films left. One of them is collective. One of them is Portrait of a Lady on Fire and the other one is Parasite. And at number three is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yes. Um, it's... This was a very women-heavy film, wasn't it? Yeah, and it became... Yes, uh... It's directed by a woman, it's starring two women, it's about women's things, putting a really dodgy phrase. It lost practically every award it was nominated for, rather horrifically, um, even at the French... Were they judged by men, funnily enough? Funnily enough, and even at the French equivalent of the BAFTAs, they decided to give Best Director instead of to Celine... I'm blanking on her surname and all I can think of is Dion, who didn't direct this film. They gave it to the well-known paedophile and abuser, Roman Polanski, which caused a stir because, you know, it was a bad choice. Um, the acting in this film is first-rate from the two principal actresses. The direction is slow, but it's perfectly paced and it's excellent. But what stands out is the cinematography. The film's full of lots of bold images, lots of memorable images, lots of really cool shots. And it's how that melds in with the characters and the plotline and the acting and the way everything neat ties in together. It makes a really lovely present. Right. Two left. Parasite and Collective. I can reveal that the winner of... Our top 20 films of 2020 right here on the Arctic You Film podcast is Parasite. And before we get into that, Ben, talk about number two, Collective. Yeah, so it's something not many people have seen or heard of. It's an electrifying and groundbreaking documentary and a chilling reminder of the underhand dealings we have in modern politics. It's kind of shot in that fly-on-the-wall observational manner that's kind of then edited from the many hours they would have shot into the narrative. And it covers the events that took place in Eastern Europe this decade that's been led by the government reform and the protests and the fight and how that and the deadly fire at the collective nightclub in Bucharest that killed 64 people and injured 146. And it's political, it's feisty, it's powerful, it's brilliant. But... There could only be one, 
best film of the year. Was it close? Was it close? Not really. I always knew Parasite was going to top it. The film that I won... assume the other ones were closer. Yeah. The film that won Best Picture at the Oscars um, is truly something else. It was the first foreign language film to do it. Um, and the way it deals with our social structure in the 21st century is second to none. Um, the way you're moved into this world is second to none. The way Bong Joon-ho knows what he's talking about and so assured as the director is amazing. And it's full of images that I can't get out of my mind, which is also brilliant. And I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not going to. But it is a film that you will no doubt never forget. Ben, we've done it. We've done 26 episodes of the Arctic Film Podcast. You down that rest of your water. Ben, I've absolutely loved it. You have been incredible, incredible. Um, are we going to, well, please, can we continue this podcast into the new year? Oh, the podcast is going back into the new year. We're going to have a little break because we've recorded this practically every week since July. So we are going to have a two or three week break and then we'll be back. Yes, I cannot wait. Uh, make sure you check out the RCQ Film website and just, you know, stay up to date with us. And we will see you in the new year. Ben, I love you. Thank you so, so much. And um, for the last time of 2020, let's hope 21's better. 2021's better. Let's hope. Goodbye. Bye.